Learn the most advanced recruiting techniques. Land the most desirable talent. Launch your company towards massive success. This is the Higher Power Radio Show with Rick Gerard. All right, the key to retention is growth. And with looming fears of the great resignation, companies are unsure how to structure their organization, forcing a state of flux that is not healthy for the business. Now, the polls tell us that at least 40% of people will quit if forced back into the office full time. Will your company have a mass exodus? If you don't put your people first, most likely. Companies who have been fostering personal and professional growth through leadership will experience far less separation because they put their people in front of the transaction. I'm Rick Gerard, and welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show. We help entrepreneurs and business leaders win the strongest hires. We do so by sharing insights from top performing rebel entrepreneurs, game changers, and industry leaders like our guest today, Mr. Sam Cayuchi. He is the founder and CEO of One Huddle, a workforce tech company that upskills, trains, and motivates employees through science-backed, quick-burst mobile games. Sam founded One Huddle on the belief that every worker deserves access to job training, support, and coaching needed to win on the job. Put simply, One Huddle is making training more fun, effective, and accessible for the entire workforce. Sam is also the author of the number one bestseller, Not Our Job, How College Has Destroyed a Generation of Workers and How to Fix It. Sam now is an expert in workforce engagement and development, which is what makes Sam the perfect expert for today's topic. Sam, welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show. Thanks for having me, Rick. Today, we're going to talk about struggle-based learning, which is kind of the key to retention, which you're an expert in, and I've never heard of it, so you can tell us a little bit about it. And then we're going to talk about how to build learning into your culture to increase the likelihood that people will stay. Now, I found that people stay at companies when they feel they can't get a better culture anywhere else. I don't know if you find that true as well, but if you actively take an interview every once in a while and you go compare what somebody else has and it's a terrible culture and you're in a really strong culture, you're not going to leave. It's all about culture today, Rick. I mean, I would 100% agree with you. When you let in, you talked about this great resignation today. Companies are really struggling to keep workers connected, keep workers together, keep workers performing in normal times. And under the current circumstances, when workers are having to perform from a distance, companies are really struggling to keep people bought into why they work, where they work. So yeah. I think that culture is top of mind. Companies need to be thinking about it. Yeah, most definitely. So let's talk a little bit about the challenges today, because with this great resignation that everybody's afraid of that, that's pending, I'm already seeing people open to talking to me on the recruiting end. It's something that after we've come through the pandemic last year, people are like, sure, I'll take your call. What do you got? And there are people that are bouncing, especially if they have to go back to work. What other challenges do you see on your end? The percentage of the U.S. workforce that is able to work from home it is opening up a large number of other opportunities in their mind, other than just maybe the company that they were working for when they went into the pandemic. For workers, they're rethinking, do they want to be at the brand that they currently work with? I think the other challenge for companies is what COVID did is it really, Rick, accelerated some trends that were already happening. Concept of future of work, automation, the robots are coming, all that stuff just got accelerated. And what that means is that jobs are changing. 
the tasks that make up job descriptions. And you know this, the old job description that everybody hasn't updated. Well, they probably want to be thinking about how they update it because as work is changing, the skills that folks are looking for, the skills that make up those jobs are changing. So we're seeing a lot of companies rethink their talent development strategy. Do we have the right technology? Do we have the right leaders in HR to do those jobs? Are we training on the right stuff? Skill development is top of mind. That is very true. All right. So which brings up the topic of training, because if you're not training your people to be successful in the role and you're not providing opportunity for growth, then there's no reason for them to stay. We had a conversation most recently with a brand who ended up not coming on board with our technology. And I was talking to this was a chief operating officer for a brand and they were in the fitness industry. So think about an environment where there's a lot of churn, a lot of customer service. There's a lot of customer facing responsibilities. And the CEO said, you know, I turn over my front desk staff. I would bet you every 90 days I lose a front desk person. So he goes, I don't even think I should be investing in any technology right now because we're just churning too rapidly. You know, I kind of made that confused face on this call and I go, don't you think that's the exact reason you should be investing right now? You know, so yeah. I would say there's a lot of companies who, while skill development is top of mind, winning brands are doubling down on their people. And yeah. they're doubling down on them because they know that the cost to find a new worker is high. Cost to train a worker is high. But if I can take a frontline worker and develop that front desk person, in this example, into maybe my next best sales membership advisor, then that membership advisor maybe is my next best trainer. And that trainer is maybe my next best manager. But that all comes back to, do you have the right technology and the right systems in place to develop people. And that's hard. It's hard to be an organization that builds talent versus just buys it. Well, it also comes down to how you hire those people too. If you're just hiring for that front desk role and not evaluating for somebody to be able to grow further, you don't even have that mindset. We just need somebody to answer the phones. You're not going to keep people. Yeah, we see a lot of companies that there's a real shortage in understanding around how to identify skills and experiences on, you know, in your example, a resume. How do I match the right skills to the job I'm hiring for? Too often, there's bias in this process. Leaders typically hire people that look like them. I'm from South Florida and I played sports growing up and I was a football player. And maybe when I see a resume that says football player, I say that person is just like me. I'm going to hire that role. There's yeah. too much of that in the hiring process, which again, if you're hiring in that manner, you're probably not taking advantage of the skills that workers have inherently, tying them to the right development programs, putting them on a path to contribute to your organization. Yeah. And nobody, when they were kids, decided, hey, like when I grow up, I just want to answer phones for people. And maybe that's my stepping stone. I can get in by answering phones, but a growth path is what's going to keep me here, especially with that particular it, you have There's a positive spillover effect in communities yeah. when we develop a worker to a level. Guess what? They might not even have another opportunity in your organization, but because you invested in that worker and their career growth, they might spill over into another job in your community, which only makes your community stronger. We live in a world where there's pockets of skills and there's maybe a shortage of certain skills in the mind of the, of the workforce. Organizations should have a better community mindset and skill development. We all have a responsibility to develop our people to their maximum capacity. And at some point, their skill set might not fit our organization or their role anymore, but you've left that worker and that person better off for the next opportunity. Yeah. 
Exactly. And you mentioned resumes. We also live in a world where, quite frankly, people spend five minutes browsing a resume, making an assumption, 20 minutes on the interview, and then decide to hire somebody. There's longer decisions that are made at the dinner table when you're trying to figure out what you want to order off the menu. Yeah, like the old adage, you know, you should fire slow, fire fast. And it's wild. There's so many technologies. I'm sure you know and have seen all of the different assessment methodologies and assessment products and assessment platforms that are meant to aid the human resource folks to make better choices and make better decisions and ask better questions. But I can't help but focus on the moment we're in. 40 plus million Americans were either furloughed, laid off, or directly disrupted by COVID. Many of those jobs were human resource jobs that were directly cut by organizations because sometimes they look at that job function as a cost, not an opportunity area in the business. And that's a bad decision for organizations to have made. And there's a lot of organizations today who have leaders in hiring roles and recruiting roles that want to make the best choices and want to do well, but maybe they don't have the education or maybe they haven't been offered the opportunities to understand maybe different hiring techniques or different assessment questions to make better choices. So I think in some cases, it's on the C-level leaders out there listening to look at the HR hiring and recruiting function as a core strength to the business. Talent acquisition and development is core to the business, just as important as sales. And if they take it that serious, they'll it should hopefully provide better tools so that group can make better decisions and get better people onto the team. Yeah. And I got to say, I'm completely biased because I actually have a solution. <laughs> so why is this important to a company? Run me through some of the data that you've shared with me prior to this as to why companies should pay attention right now. We were living in an interesting moment. I would say that for all the sports fans out there, the handoff between education and the workforce isn't so smooth today. Colleges have long been looked at and higher learning has been long looked at as being responsible for developing young people for a career. You're listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. I'm your host, Rick Girard. For our podcast listeners, we're going to take a quick educational moment from our sponsors. Hey, check out stridesearch.com. There you'll find additional content and resources to help you land the strongest hires. You'll also find a link to my new book, Healing Career Wounds, which is available now on Amazon. Our guest today is Sam Cayucci. He is the founder and CEO of One Huddle. Sam had actually brought up the function of middle management and how it's really important today. Rick, I would say we need coaches more than ever today. If you think of the future of work, the frontline jobs are what's going to be under attack in the next few years. And I don't mean that to be rhetorical or be negative, but I just saw a robot that can custom make and flip 250 burgers an hour. That's not so good for me as someone who has a dream of being a line cook. The repeatable jobs are going to go away. It opens up opportunities for those workers to work alongside either technology or move into roles that are more human. And I think because of this, it means that we need more direct contact with workers from managers. We need managers to play a more active part in coaching and development. There's a really popular book I'd recommend everybody to read. It's called It's the Manager. It was released by Gallup. It was the most comprehensive study in the future of work. It was done right before the pandemic. And in the book, they make the claim that not surprisingly, only 15% of the global workforce is excited to go to work every day. The 
interesting part, though, is they said the number one driver of employee engagement in their findings in serving workers, managers, and looking at data was a very specific type of manager. And they called this manager a coach. They said this is the middle manager in the organization, but sits directly one line away from a frontline worker and can coach, develop, mentor, and guide that worker. You know, so as we think about middle managers, organizations should be building better infrastructure with coaches that can respond quickly as work changes. Well, I feel even executives need to be stronger with coaching than they are as well. We're always driving toward goals. Uh, we don't think to stop and talk to people and see how they're doing and, and really take an active role in coaching people. Totally. There's a report out that believes that the first person that's going to live to 150 years old has already been born. No, bad luck. It's probably not me or you, Rick. But that, that person <laughs> is out there. Damn. They're, they're in a crib. They're in a crib somewhere. You're going to be working for, let's call it, let's be nice, let's say 110, 120 of that. So it's not about creating a environment in your organization for lifelong learning. It's long life learning. How do we create an organization where employees who are going to change jobs 30 to 40 times are able to do that quickly, nimbly, and without delay? And that includes, to your point, not just frontline, not just middle managers, but senior executives who are most equally going to have to be able to continue to develop their skill sets if they're going to win today. Let's talk about this concept of struggle-based learning. What is it? It means you learn more by failing than you do by just being given the answer. For a long time, when you think about the way that corporate learning works, and I have a tech startup called One Huddle that does workforce training. So in my discovery, I kind of asked, why do organizations train the way they do? Why do companies, when they hire a new employee, handcuff them to a chair and force them to watch 30 hours of training videos, only to nudge them every 10 minutes to just make sure they still have a pulse? Like, why do they do that? Is there an academic research study that proves this is the right way for learning to happen? But the short answer is not. There's really no proof that the way for learning to be effectively transferred and acquired by a worker is by reading something or watching a video. There was a Harvard research study that came out when I started One Huddle that kind of got me going. And it said that 87% of what you learn in a live training environment is forgotten within 30 days. You forget 70% in 72 hours. So if you forget everything you know, did you even know it was always my question. I popped the hood and we did a lot of research in the area. There's a really popular book that I'm going to plug also by a dude named Peter Brown. He wrote a book called Make It Stick. This is one of those books that has a lot of references. They found that struggle, which is wrestling with a problem before you know the solution, while it's counterintuitive, is a more effective way to learn. They have countless research that went in that we have since reinforced with our own findings that when you test or quiz or challenge someone around a function and they fail and they struggle and they wrestle with it, that struggle is really critical to the learning process. And unfortunately today, organizations more often than not are more like helicopter parents to their workers than they are coaches. Yeah, that's very true. Something like 45% faster you learn in this model than you do if you're just watching a bunch of training videos. We took it a step farther on a lot of the research we found. And the University of South Florida recently conducted an academic research study on 
one huddle versus some folks out there might be familiar with a small company called LinkedIn. They have a learning product, small brand. What they did is they put learning on one huddle, which is basically just struggle-based games. So it doesn't have to be one huddle. It could be another product that's following the same methodology, but we use struggle-based games to go up against learning by watching a video and then being tested. They found that when you learn through this method, you learn twice as fast, 45% faster when you are struggling through the material, essentially guessing to learn it versus if you're just delivered the information and asked to regurgitate it later. Yeah. And I think people become way more engaged in something that's exciting or engaging than they do with watching me sitting on a video talking about what I'm talking about now, right? You and I, I totally get that. Let's talk about how you build this in your organization. Break down for us if you can. How do we solve this problem? How do we build a struggle-based learning platform or even a learning platform into our company to make sure that we're not going to lose the people we have? Sure. If you're a talent leader out there right now and you're thinking about this concept of struggle-based learning as something you're intrigued by and you say, what do I want to, you know, how do I get started? There's a few easy steps that you can take. Some may require some cash, <laughs> like some investment. Some might just require some time and thinking. First is you have to do an audit of what you got. You have to do what we call a content audit. And every company in general has a lot of stuff. They have videos, they have manuals, they have systems, they have SOPs, they have processes. And what I would ask the organization to do is take all that stuff, put it on the desk, throw the stuff out that's outdated, update the stuff that you got, and identify where there's gaps. If you found stuff you don't have, you might have to build it. Or you may have to go out and buy it. Maybe you hire a consulting firm or a training organization or a subject matter expert. But step one is you got to do this audit of your content. Make sure you got the right stuff. One of the things an old coach told me is like, until you've clearly defined your job, every part of your job, you have no right to ask anybody else to do it. So it's your responsibility to design your make sure you have the right content laid out. I totally agree with that, by the way. Like, especially if you're a CEO, you should be learning how to hire so that you're driving things and everybody else drives things below you. You've got to be good at it for you to ask somebody else to do it. That's a great point. We got to model these behaviors as leaders today yeah. and not outsource and hope that someone's going to figure it out. Once you got all your content, you got everything laid out. The next step is really to pick how you want to deploy it. If you don't have a budget for technology, that means setting up your calendar for different formats. So it might be classroom. It might be you are going to build a manual. It might mean you are going to build videos out. I mean, it doesn't cost anything to record systems and put it up on a private YouTube channel or a Facebook group. So I really believe that technology budgets, although helpful, nobody has an excuse here. If you do have a budget, you need to look at Things like what learning management system you want to invest in or what skill development products you want to include. And a few things to think about as you think about what technology you're going to use. You should be thinking about accessibility more than ever today. Only 1% of workforce training solutions today are built mobile first. It's crazy to me that organizations tell us sometimes that we want to use a product, but we want to turn mobile off because we're afraid of this or afraid of that. Or I had a company tell me, we're not a mobile friendly company. What do you say to that? <laughs> so I guess you're not a people friendly company because if you hire people, most people are on their mobile phones. Imagine this person that says, Rick, we don't like our employees ever being on their phones. We tell them not to be on their phones. So we don't buy any software that's mobile. It doesn't seem realistic, quite frankly, like everybody's on phones and you're not going to keep people off phones. 
especially people working from home. I think that comes back to looking at your workforce and tapping into their strengths instead of just complaining about millennial this, Gen Z that, and whining about stuff. Like there's opportunity to leverage these strengths. Picking technology, can everybody touch it? Because instead of going out and hiring a new worker, which as you know, is expensive when you're hiring someone net new, imagine if you can build up your incumbent workforce to hire from within versus always from outside the org. So I think tech needs to be accessible. Also, you need to make sure that technology is friendly to author. Who's going to add to your subject matter expertise? Is it going to be only this one HR person sitting in a corner office? Or are you going to invest in, there's a lot of really cool platforms that allow authoring to happen across the organization, making it really lightweight to create. That'd be the second thing I think about is really around what technology you're going to pick to supercharge your strategy. And it seems to me like if you're in an agile organization, you need people to come up to speed quickly. Again, I wouldn't be so opposed to mobile because people will do it at home or when they're on the toilet. Who knows? They're going to do it whenever they can do it. And they'll probably be having fun with it. They'll learn faster and it's going to help them grow. I don't see why you wouldn't want any of that. Again, especially if you're a startup. Especially as a startup, Rick, I think you make a good point where the edges of your day can be prime time for skill development. And if you can only do something when you're on the clock in front of your computer, you're just limiting the opportunity. So I'm a big believer that companies, if you're buying a desktop only learning management system, you're investing in the wrong solution for the wrong decade. I say that very clearly. Companies that are continuing to invest in tech that you can only watch on a video or can only live on a desktop, you're either doing it because you're purposefully leaving out a part of your workforce for some reason, or you haven't looked more broadly enough at the different technologies available today. Because there's some really awesome startups and really awesome tech that is making workforce training more accessible and more effective. What's the next piece of it? So you've selected technology, now what? So you got your content, you got your tech, everything's on it, you're ready to go. The third and final piece is to game plan. What I'll say is building out a 52-week calendar. Any fitness people out there, you probably are thinking about what your programming is week in and week out for the year. If anybody's preparing for a marathon and you're three, four months out, I'm pretty confident you have every week game planned out to prepare you for race day. If you're a sports team that's preparing for a season, you'll oftentimes find an organization with a, again, a year round calendar for preparation. I don't see any reason why this should be different in the workforce. No. Today, 80% of workforce training dollars go towards preventative training, which is just a fancy way of saying cover your ass training. Don't do this. Don't do that. It's safety. It's compliance. It's not skill building, which is a shame. So the third part would be now that you have your content, you got your technology, design a 52-week calendar for every role in your organization. How do I get from a sales development rep? to being your chief revenue officer. What does that calendar look like 52 weeks a year over however many years? And I know that I just gave you an intimidating example, but I think that thinking about making sure that skill development is available every week, I think that it's available across every worker. And I think that being aware that just because you were onboarded doesn't mean you still know that material six weeks, three months later. So we're constantly re-onboarding and resurfacing information to our workers. So you have to have a 52-week calendar. It's got to be 365. Training cannot just be an event. 
that happens when you're hired. And that one day or two day compliance thing that you do every year, it's got to be continuous today more than ever. So what you're talking about is really building a syllabus for success. So somebody comes in and they can essentially look at, here's what I need to do, go from point A to point B to point C. Here's my training regiment. Guess what? Doesn't that attract top performing individuals? Doesn't that attract the people that you want to hire more so than, well, just start, we'll onboard you and let's just hope you work out. In that Gallup study, Rick, yeah. you know, it talked about the coach being one of the number one drivers, but also talked to workers that turned over and quit and asked, what was the reason? And as we all can guess, money wasn't always at the top. Uh, but what was at the top was a lack of opportunity, a lack of career development opportunities. So to your point, if you check that box, you turn job training into an employee benefit today, and you promise every one of your workers that, you know what, we are not going to get in the way of you accessing the information to be any role in this organization that you want. You got to put the work in though. This is a partnership. But I'm not going to block you getting access to the systems, the strategies, the skills that you need. I don't know why every organization wouldn't want to have an open model like that. And with technology, it's easier than ever. Yeah, neither do I. Shoot, Sam, we're getting pretty close on time. What would be two or three key takeaways you can give the audience that they can plug into their business today? One takeaway is you should revisit your tech stack. You should take a step back and think about, do you have the right technology for this moment? Because the technology you had in February of 2020 may not be right sitting here in 2021 into 2022. Another takeaway is that skill building requires struggle. It's okay to fail. And organizations need to get more comfortable with letting their team members slip up. But they have to have the coaches there to pick them up when that happens. And failing sparks innovation. For all of us out here that have competed at any level, you know that in some cases, it's always the losses and the struggle that you've learned more from than your wins. We got to create those opportunities, especially considering what I said when we opened, which was young people maybe aren't getting the best experiences coming out of education like they used to. So that just makes it harder on all of us inside of companies and organizations and enterprises, makes it harder on us. Because we're going to have to teach a lot of stuff that maybe wasn't taught in the classroom, maybe wasn't taught in organized sports or wasn't taught at home. We have to participate more. The other thing I would say, managers need tools as well. These tools assist leaders and coaches to be better at what they do, not just to onboard workers quicker. If you're a manager out there, do you really want to be standing next to your worker explaining things they could learn on their own? You want them ready to go so that you can coach them up on the higher order stuff. Last thing I'll say here, though, is that now more than ever, there's 160 million workers in the U.S. workforce. It's our responsibility as leaders to make sure that every worker has a shot to succeed in our workforce. And this is where technology and our talent strategy can exposes and defines how your organization feels about that point. That is so very true. Sam, thanks so much for your time investment today. And I want to welcome you to the Higher Power Radio community. Now, what would be the best way in which members of the audience can find you, find out more your book, all that good stuff? Sure. If you'd love to connect with One Huddle, you can find us at the number one huddle.co. One Huddle is a game platform for workforce training. And we have a lot of really cool resources that may help you and your organization as you think about some of the topics we talked about today. All right. I want to thank our listening audience for tuning in to this week's episode of Higher Power. A quick thanks to our team, Brian Colburn, Andrea Ballin, and Ayla Gerard. 
If you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe, review, and share. After all, this show is for you. We are listening. We're trying to make it better so that you can make the strongest hires. You can join the Higher Power Radio community at Hire, H-I-R-E, Power, P-O-W-E-R, Radio, R-A-D-I-O.com, or you can drop me an email at rickatstridesearch.com. Tune in next week. Our guest is going to be Liam Rose. He's the founder of Catalina 7 Ventures. I'm your host, Rick Gerard, and you have been listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. Aloha. Thank you for listening to Higher Power Radio. Catch our LinkedIn Live show every Tuesday at noon or download the podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, or your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate you joining us on Higher Power Radio with your guide to recruitment success. Rick Turner.